0: Welcome to the Blooming League of Original Podcast.
1: G'day and welcome to this particular edition of Thrush and Treasure, the Torture Chamber musical comedy podcast where two musical genres accidentally morphed into each other. So now beauty is the beast and the nut nibbles Nobby. And speaking of snobby, I'm Aaron, and I'm joined, as usual, by my His Girl Freaky Friday. It's Evan, the musical man. How's it going? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, good. Yeah, been very, very busy, as usual. It has been. Just to explain last week's episode, however long ago we posted it, we've taken a little hiatus to rejuvenate, because poor Aaron's brain needs it. Our last guest, Simon Burke, made the comment that he doesn't know who is who, team musical, team metal. So this week, we've swapped over. And we will get into that further later. So I'm playing Team Metal. Lucky me. (laughs) But anyways, I am so proud of myself because in 13 years of playing Lego video games, and I've played nearly all of them on multiple platforms, PC, Wii U, and now the Xbox One I have finally reached 100% on one of those <laughs> games because the PC and the Wii U ports <laughs> never had updates. So, when there was bugs that wouldn't allow you to get 100%, but people on the PlayStation and the Xbox games could. Nah. So, now I have finally, on Lego Batman the video game, the first one, I have finally, I'm so proud of myself. It has been a long, 13 years (laughs) but anyways also i am scratched and bitten up that puppy is wild evan but i love her so much anyways guess what what we have another Aussie diva in the studio today and since this versatile visionary had the foresight to give me my first break I think it's high time we thank him by dragging him through our torture chamber because this most snappy fella first burst onto the stage as seaman ill in South Pacific across Australia and Thailand before saying a huge Aussie g'day dolly on a tour that led him to miss Saigon so much so that his seaman became a marine but after carefully lining up the chess pieces for the disastrous 97 non-tour, things got a little hairy, McClary and fell apart in a camera flash, rendering this rock and film roller Les Miserables and bereft of being able to pay last year's rent, next year's rent in the original Aussie cast of Rent. But whilst in that homeless refuge, he further developed his passion for performance plus portrait photography, propelling this prolific performer to the prime position as the paramount professional pictorian for productions and producers, and he also lends his expertise to extreme sports... And I don't just mean footy mums. So please help me focus as we snap a huge Aussie g'day and a long time as this history-making guest enters our Sideshow Alley, who after 55 guests is the very first ensemble member for today's chosen musical. And more than that, he's the man who took a chance on some clueless kid who claimed he could create musical crosswords, even though I had never made one in my life. Yet slap me ass and call me madame, that opportunity opened more doors for me than it probably ever should have which kind of makes him the thrush and treasure fairy godfather so with open arms we fire the cannon and lock the chamber from the outside as we welcome to the show an inspiration a collaborator and now torture victim as well as singer dancer actor photographer editor and director it's mr gavin d andrew yay welcome to the torture chamber finally Ooh, yeah wow. that
0: was awesome Aaron I love those intros matey they are way cool thank you that was uh well picked up on you even <laughs> even um call me madam got in there and chess yes. I almost forgot about chess there you go yeah because
1: I think everyone forgot about chess which is why it didn't really last in Melbourne
0: specifically the audience yeah
1: yeah I, I do remember that because that was um I think it was yeah it was 97 I just said that goodness me it was it was 25 years ago goodness me and the same year that my poster for today, The Lost World Jurassic Park, was released and that's being uh, released this week. Now, I would have had you on last year for the listeners at home. Gavin was actually one of the first people on my list of, of who be my dream guest because, as I say, he gave me an opportunity. So he put out a call saying, I'm starting a newspaper and I'm looking for collaborators. And I thought, well, this guy was in Rent. Cool. And I thought, what can I do? I'm not going to ask to review shows because that's like basically asking for free tickets to things. So I'll make crosswords. <laughs> this is how my brain works. That like, I'm so- such an incredible moron that I signed up to make theater crosswords without knowing if I could. And you gave me that chance. And by the end of the newspapers run, I think I had like six different columns or pages in, in the newspaper that you had started. Theater people papers. And um, yeah, that obviously led to other opportunities. And from that, we have been able to get guests on this show. So thank you so much for that. Because as I say, you were in Rent, which changed my life.
0: I love that theatre of any kind can change people's lives, you know. So yeah. I think that that's wonderful. And yes, the short-lived Theatre People paper, yeah. which um, was crazy time for me. I was running a BMX racing paper and a theatre newspaper at the same time. Just I think losing thousands every month, <laughs> but, <laughs> but having a good time. I was going, I was photographing all around the place and, you know, uh, and I still do that, obviously.
1: Oh, look, it, it was celebrating our Victorian community more so than the Australian community because there are other magazines, which I do not mention on this show. You know, it was celebrating our community. So it was something I was happy to be a part of. Uh, But it turns out I was good at those crosswords. I got hundreds of thousands of views and notices in like USA Today and stuff like that all around the world.
0: It's amazing how something small can just be that instigator for, you know, another journey. It's one of those things at the moment, Aaron and Evan, I'm producing and directing a a little production at my son's school, but it's really important to me that we've got technical elements that kids who don't want to perform, the kids who want to be behind the scenes, it's really important that they can actually get their hands on a lighting board or they get their hands on some sound equipment and have a play, learn how to put your DMX cables in, your XLR cables in, our all that stuff and start playing even before the show. So our show goes up in four months, but even now I went out and bought four radio mics so the kids can learn how to mic up everyone. They're on the dials, they're playing with the EQs and they're getting that hands-on experience. It's that same thing, you know, because you never know. You know, we're talking 10 and 11-year-old children, but one of those people Mm -hmm. might go, wow, this can do that. That is so awesome. I want to learn more. And and so you just never know where that spark can go. So I think I'm I'm excited... I'm humbled, Aaron, that 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 small opportunity has got you to where you are today. I think that's brilliant. I love it.
1: Yeah, because from doing the Puzzle Hub website, I got in Dark Horse Comics with Buffy Season 8, which is why I was going to invite you on last year, because it was the 10-year anniversary of me getting in Buffy somehow from this one small opportunity. Wow.
0: Is anyone doing Buffy the musical? Uh, look, they've wanted to, but I think we're just...
1: Are you telling me it doesn't exist yet?
0: Oh, it exists in television land?
2: Yeah, Once More With Feeling. Oh, yeah, yeah, true. Yeah, actually, I did listen to that not that long ago.
0: The smiles are <laughs> emanating from Evan's face here, as he remembers. <laughs> I, was, yeah.
2: oh, no, I was listening to something else, and I was like, this reminds me of the Buffy musical. So I listened to the Buffy musical again. I went, no, no, I'm yeah. completely wrong. Sounds nothing
1: like it. <laughs> I just love how people call it the Buffy musical. It's Once yep. More With Feeling, people. Doesn't that? Name. It Has feelings. It was an epic, epic episode. It really was. Yeah. Um, just on, on what you were saying now about kids, you know, getting their hands on technical stuff and and backstage and set design, all that. Um, I know that you did Assassins, where I did my first show, Bugsy Malone.
0: I love Bugsy Malone. You can't you can't get the rights in Australia for a junior production, even though they've got the junior production available in the US. You can't do it in Australia. How? disappointing is that
1: it's made for kids yeah yeah they don't they don't need i'm so i'm anti junior productions if i'm going to see children doing lame is don't bastardize Les Mis enough already as it is like they're going to be destroying it
0: yeah. don't get children to do Les Mis, please
1: I know that, that's just the worst case example like I'm already expecting it to be bastardized you don't need to cut out half the plot for me to follow it or for the kids to to be able to step up to the plate to perform because as I was going to say bugs him alone but I was actually doing my theater class just across you know five minutes away and we were we had the run of the theater we were up and the lighting box we were up above the lights and i for two weeks i had the keys to the theater as a 14 year old so that's what we did we we took on every we learned everything we could so it's that's helped to then jump into something like this
2: yeah Uh, uh, now going back to your your point of of doing a a high school production we did go and see a a production of a musical at the the local high school and it's this high school's brand new it's only five ten years old the theater in the high school is incredible. The gear they've got to play with—it's it's, seems to be top of the line. Everything there's a full-on like film studio, you know, up in the up in the box. There's you know kids up on the control box, you know, controlling all the lights and yep. the, just ah, oh, it's they get all the metal metalwork kids and the the woodwork kids in building sets and yeah, yeah. It's it's again the technology they're playing with is is just amazing. There's hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars worth
1: of stuff that you know we could when i went to school we couldn't possibly achieve yeah kids aren't incapable like they're not hopeless they can do shit and so if children are showing signs of you know being really good at technical stuff get them into a local theater get them involved with the tech team they don't have to be on stage but anyways uh we're gonna move on because you're on the tail end of isolation, I believe.
0: I am, yeah. My, my youngest son was out today and we're out tomorrow. Yay. Oh, the me. dog can go for a walk again, apart from just running around in circles <laughs> in the backyard. Oh, lovely. To be nice.
1: What what type of dog? What breed?
0: Well, that's a good question. It's suspected that it's a, a whippet cross with a kelpie.
1: Oh, beautiful. I love whippets. We've had two. Of, no, we've had three of them one of them was half italian greyhound Uh, but anyways we'll we'll move on to the metal because otherwise i could talk about puppies forever now what would be in your ultimate craziest rock star rider
0: you know i i heard you ask this to caroline and i was like what would be in my ultimate rider you know it would have to be something playful you know, like uh, there has to be a swing set out the back or there's a slide yes. or you have to have Laser X guns provided around so that we can yes. be firing back at the guys in the tech who are on the catwalk, you know, stuff like that.
2: I want a Nerf gun tower.
0: Yeah. yeah, and you just got the goggles and you rock up there and you're just firing at each other, you know. <laughs> yeah. That kinda of, it has to be something kind of playful, I think. That would be it. And and then yes. if there was any food that was required, it would be it'd be like just cater for an eight-year-old children's party, birthday party, like a nineteen eighties you know,
1: Yes. Fairy bread.
0: Yeah, fairy bread, cakes, party pies, pasties, sauce. All the good stuff from the, the old school days as opposed to now you need to have some bit of lettuce, a bit of, you know, whatever is <laughs> no. Healthy. It's got to be healthy stuff now. I,
1: I don't know who these asshole parents are serving up lettuce at a child's party. <laughs> but, oh, my God, fathers, what is wrong with people? Let children, we've got one life to live, people. Let children be children for crying out loud. Let them eat literal sugar on bread. <sighs>
0: <laughs> spoken by the man who hasn't had to put them to bed at night right after, after getting <laughs> too much sugar
1: no so, i've raised my nephew and, uh, and he's up this end of the house with me and my parents are way up the front so they don't hear right. anything they've never heard him crying <laughs> or screaming or getting up in the middle of the night that has been me and i'm destroyed from it
0: when i was doing shows i remember i was doing saigon and um you know often you'd have a drink of water and things like that so on stage you were permitted to have your water bottle which had water in okay but i don't drink water it's one of those things that water actually dries out my throat or it feels to whether it's a psychological thing or not i always felt that
1: like lip balm dries my lips out more
0: so i had green cordial that was my drink i was the only person who was allowed to have cordial backstage (laughs) so i'd have a green cordial bottle there and so i'd race off and i remember one day i was doing chris and i came off in between scenes and my my dresser gave me the wrong bottle they gave me water i was like oh no (laughs) Oh, I'm gonna die now because <laughs> I had water instead of cordial I, I did live and the and the show survived and yeah but I, yeah that was my thing sugar
1: <laughs> you have to be careful with having too much cordial syrup in it because otherwise it will turn your teeth green
0: I, then I could do wicked I guess
1: <laughs> that's true I could anyways do you have any experience with metal heavy metal glam metal I could list them all
0: yeah yeah look um cutting it you know I'm, I'm all right with a grinder um, but if it comes to music, I was no nah, as a kid, if I was, if I, if I had the, if I was getting, you know, aggro or annoyed with the world, I had one of those, I don't know whether Evan is old enough to remember. They had these small black tape recorders from the seventies and I had a little headpiece and I fed that into my, I can't even remember. I think it was a Sonola valve amp. Anyway, I lived about 200 meters from my high school. And if I plugged that in and turned it up, I could hear it from the middle of the oval, at my high school. <laughs> so if I got really annoyed, my go to tape was Iron Maiden Live After Death. Oh wow so Mum and Dad and and Evan's wearing a li- wearing an Iron Maiden t shirt. So I was like, hey, there you go. Mum and dad knew if that hit if they were listening to Live After Death, it was like not good.
1: now for the listeners at home this story checks out because i'm looking here at the bio photo of gavin in the rent program and as we can show everyone he used to have long hair so were you a headbanger is what i would like to know
0: Uh, no i was actually i wasn't i was really into 80s pop it's that really candy Duran Duran was my band. I was about Simon, to just say Duran Simon, Duran. Simon Le Bon was my yeah. man. If I could have been anyone when I was younger, it would have been Simon Le Bon. He was the man, that mullet. And Duran yeah, Duran. I was going
1: to say the clothes, the hair, you know, the girls, he had it all really. Yeah, yeah. Now, we, we look back at the 80s for the past 30 years. We've looked back at the 80s and gone, what the hell was wrong with us? Why are we bringing the mullets back today and the 80s fashion back today? We're only going to get 20 years away and look back and go, what the <laughs> hell was wrong with us? We didn't do it once. We did it twice.
0: Oh, yeah, I don't, I, I don't get it. I go, I lived through that. I had, a, I had a pretty cool mullet in my day, but I was glad when it got shaved off. I went, oh, you know what? Better. Mullet was good, but not mullet, much better. And to see it now, just like, no, make it stop.
1: Uh, yeah, look, I, I don't get it. And sometimes, like, I shave my head all the time, but if it grows too long, it starts oh, to get so mullet and I'm just like, no, I can't do it. Anyways, we're going to move on to the metal. This week, I chose the metal album, and I chose a classic from my childhood. I chose Motley Crue's "Doctor Feel Good" because I remember listening to Sex Talk Radio, and "Doctor Feel Good" was on there. Why are you both laughing at me? <laughs> what am I doing?
0: I was I was very relieved when I when I got that message from you, the email saying that my my band would be Motley Crue because I was expecting it to be some, you know, Norwegian. And stuck under a rock somewhere that hasn't seen sunlight in nine months and
1: We've done them. We yeah. we have done them. Yeah, we yeah, we yeah, matched yeah, up frozen yeah. with that. But um now we would have <laughs> chosen cannibal corpse, but we thought we'll wait till we book Army Hammer too soon. So <laughs> I don't know what's going on there, but apparently he's a cannibal. But anyway,s yeah. So I chose Doctor Feelgood, and I remember jumping on the trampoline as a child, listening to this with my brother and sister. So either way, the music was being blasted into the backyard. Now, Evan, you relived this album. So what did you think? Give us your review from Team Musical, if you can handle it. Yeah, Motley Crue. I mean, God, this is a, just, just what a classic. You know, what are we
2: 1989? You got Nikki Six, uh, Vince Neil. I mean,
1: oh, is this where he's from? Vince Neil, no, Nikki Six,
2: or well, Nikki Six, yes. Um, yeah, they uh, I, don't, I I. initially wanted to say they have have like the similar story of, of poison, you know, it's, it's that that era, um, where it's just it's just sex, drugs, rock and roll, and 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 girls, 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 and just just being mental, but I mean, they started out. <laughs> they didn't start it out that great. It was really Nikki Six is, is the, the driving force behind mighty be Crew. Um, he just set out he wanted to be a rock star and that was it. You know, he was a, just determined to be a rock star, um, lacking any talent or even a guitar at the time. Um, but yeah, he, the, the story goes, it's actually quite funny. He, uh, he, he saw a friend of his, uh, they were you know, playing in the garage and he just got it stuck in his head. Uh, he got the impression that if he could just get his hands on a bass guitar, he could join the band. So he goes down the local record store um, and with a empty guitar case and he asks the, uh, the owner for an application for a job. He's like, yeah, yeah, be right with you. He goes out the back and he just casual as you like, chucks the guitar in the um, in the case, closes it up, grabs the application. Thank you very much. Walks out the store. So he's just gone and stolen himself his first guitar. Um, you know, got back to the, the garage, like, you know, look what I've got. I can join the band now. And they opened it up and it's, it's fucking Gibson Les Paul. It's like, dude, that's a guitar. You needed a bass. <laughs> oh, <You know>? He <laughs> was just devastated. So, yeah, just, just to join a band, he's gone and stolen his first guitar. Um, but, yeah, ended up being a bass player. And unfortunately, he started out terribly. Like, they, they were not good.
1: One might say they were a motley crew. They were very much.
2: <laughs> but yeah it's the it's it's the early sort of uh, a, a very common you know early band story of just living in the in a crappy apartment on nothing and you know yeah. and sharing fries from mcdonald's and counting them out between each one you know because no one's got a penny to their name and yeah having to learn to play by playing you know, and apparently did some some horrible shows of just you know oh yeah we love the look of vince neal you know his his vocals are coming along and and Tommy Lee's it was a fantastic drummer. Oh, is this
1: where he's from?
2: Yes. Motley okay. Crue. Um, yeah, they had a fantastic drummer to start with, but you know, they're like, that bass player, he's he's terrible. You know, he's gotta go. <laughs> but yeah, you know, stuck with it. And and yeah, you got Motley Crue. Um, um, but God, they could write a song. Um, and again, that was Nikki Six. He could write a song, but he could play that well.
1: So I've listened. Um- to this as a child but we didn't have the internet back then obviously so we weren't looking up bands and who was in who and tommy lee by knowledge of him was pamela because hello she's pamela anderson <laughs> they really
2: did hit it with um their, their second album uh shout at the devil that was they, they uh, who was it Ozzy osborne actually noticed them um because they played do you remember we did van halen and we're talking about steve wozniak put on uh the van halen <laughs> Steve Wozniak from Microsoft. Yeah, um, from Apple. 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 Oh, he's Apple. Yeah. He um, definitely. put on the Yes Festival. Yeah. Um, and the Yes Festival was was just this enormous bloody event. It was anywhere between 100 000 and 200 thousand people. They don't really know. So Quiet Riot opened it, and Motley Crew played played second. And again, reports where they were just horrible. Like, and you know, they're they're trying to you know stop the recording being played on air because it was just just crap there were missing cues you know bung notes all over the place just just terrible
1: god nowadays they call that australian
2: idol <laughs> but thankfully they did learn how to play and and yeah dr Feelgood's just i i remember coming in this i actually remember making a copy of this off tape you know doing tape to tape yeah didn't have access to a um photocopier for the cover so i actually redrew the
1: cover in pencil of course you did yeah of course, of course you I did, did. <laughs> of all people to do that evan you did yep go. <laughs> <laughs> so I could have my own copy. So was it good reliving it from so long ago?
2: Yeah. Oh, it takes you straight back. It does. It really does. You know, you're you know in a household full of metalheads. You know, all my older brothers are all blasting out different eras. But yeah, certainly. Again, this is my older uh, next. No, he's not the next oldest. Second eldest um Gareth would would crank this a lot. This these were. They were a huge band. Yeah. Um, they knew they were going to be famous. And they set out to be famous and and you know achieve their goals. It it really is a, a testament to just Nikki Six being um, ambitious and going for it and not giving up until they were famous.
1: And we can thank them for setting that precedent. <laughs> Good on that. They were lucky in that respect because look at what people have to do now to become famous. Like, and then what are they doing when they're famous? Literally nothing. My spirit is broken. Not producing music or acting or writing or anything. It's putting a camera on themselves and this is my personality, but it's not my personality because it's all planned for the production. Like, they're lucky. Motley Crew are lucky that they actually, they passed the test because what we're getting today with people who just want to be famous and set out to be famous without a lick of talent is we're getting kardashians and it's quite sad anyways but yeah i think it's actually surprising i've been mean, talking about
2: dr feelgood itself it's surprising the amount of ballads that are on here
3: yeah you know, it's
2: not
1: all it's not all kickstart my heart no and i didn't hate them because i'm so used to them they didn't grate on me
2: yeah well, obviously i mean kickstart my heart was was massive and it just, you know, it makes you want to drive fast and, and hit things. It's just one of those songs.
1: Yeah, it's because it's in Burnout, I think, or Tony Hawk. I think it's in Burnout. Yeah, I was just trying to look up. Like I'm sure it's been featured in in plenty of stuff. I think it's in Burnout Revenge or Burnout Paradise.
0: Yeah, I love those games.
1: Um, yeah, so Gavin, what did you think of this? And had you had experience with this album?
0: No, I, I was not a Motley Crue fan. I mean, it was interesting because I quite liked Kiss when I was... Uh, when I was younger. I had a Kiss Cubby, all the guys around there, and that long hair, and and my parents hated it. They hated that I liked Kiss. They they wanted Abba to live on forever, I think, from the 70s. but
2: <laughs> They have. Have you seen? Oh, no, they
0: have. Yeah, of course. <laughs> they're, they're back in 2020, which is a bit of a concern. But, hey, uh, so I loved it. I, w- I thought it was awesome. I put it on for my 12-year-old to have a listen to, and he thought it was cool. We quite like getting into the car and listening to a bit of ACDC as we rock and roll along. So, um it was interesting i just listening to it it kind of reminded me a bit of of spinal tap and especially when obviously spinal tap is a whole play on that whole la glam rock kind of thing and and i i watched a couple of video clips as well just to entertain myself and (laughs) kickstart my heart starts off with cars smashing up and everything too in the in the old film clip and i Tell you what, it's really weird to go back and watch film clips from the 90s because they look so dated and 80s. They just feel so slow. Mm. You know, it's just them just rocking up in, in Kickstart, my heart. They just rock up in this this cab and they're all just going, oh, this is where it began. And they turn up to the theatre and there's thousands of people there and, you know, and they're just in there. They're just skinny. They're people in the 70s, and like well, this was the 90s, but they're just skinny. There's nothing to them. Hair and hair and skin.
2: Yeah. Well, again, that's that's due to them being all, you know, flat broke for years and, and living on nothing except for, you know, cocaine and beer. Yeah. <laughs>
0: that's where all their money went.
2: Yeah, pretty much. That's that's what they were it was all about it It was the party thing
0: they they were your classic hardcore rock and rollers though you know they were the fun boys of rock and roll just taking it and living living hard as you said evan in in the 80s and 90s people kind of went pretty pretty hard i guess a lot of them not all of them but yeah they seem like that and i i listened to the music and i just enjoyed it it was just fun you know a lot of tongue-in-cheek a lot of stuff that you can't get away with now well you you know, it just, it fits into a different time. So many double entendres in there and, and some blatant sexism and all that stuff, which just, you know, it's a, it's a, <laughs> it's a time stamp and it is what it, you know, it is what it is. And it's just fun. I just, I just enjoyed it. I just went crank it up. Yeah. Let's do it. So yeah, I had a great time.
2: Yeah. Listening back. Oh uh, yeah. I, I got to admit, I heard the
0: sexism in there. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Another slice of your pie. Thank you very much. No <laughs> yeah. subtlety there.
1: Well, maybe someone's a good cook and
0: very possible
1: they make a really tasty pie no that was just the
2: uh, the rock and roll lifestyle you know god if 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 bands live like you know bands from the the 80s and 90s um if bands today live like that uh they'd get cancelled quick smart well i think some of them do (laughs) there's i mean there's a few who get away with it but uh, no when it's you know different girl every show kind of thing and having the having the roadies bring them backstage for you and you know pick one and you know yeah we've talked
1: about that haven't we?
2: Yeah there was a lot of that going on in yeah, Van Halen as well. We're very big on that. Lambs for the slaughter. Yeah yeah I don't know if you can get away with that because you know often it was often it was a case of oh she said she's
1: 18, you know. Yeah. I said I was eighteen, but I was fifteen. Not, not for no, no, not for a rock star or anything like that. For my first tattoo, let's just clarify that <laughs> out there in the world right now. That was when I got my first tattoo. That was not me sleeping with rock stars at fifteen years old. That was sixteen. <laughs> Anyways, we move on. Yeah, that's I, I. I did. I really enjoyed this trip down memory lane because I know we I'd said that we won't do Motley Crue because I was so familiar with them, with their music, not apparently them as people. As I'm learning now that Tommy Lee. It's from there,
2: and the drummer of all things, you know, like how often is is the drummer, you know, goes on to be just as famous as, as re- if not more famous than the rest of them.
0: Correct, because I couldn't. I was like, "Who's the lead singer?" I've got no idea who the the lead singer is. Who just sounds like Bon Jovi's brother, you know? As <laughs> as do so. That was one of the interesting things too about going back into this world. How. Do you know, and I think Simon Burke alluded to this in his interview that the, the talent of a lot of these guys in the metal genre and the heavy rock genre, that's just phenomenal, you know? Like, you mm. listen to the lead singer of Iron Maiden. Bruce Dickinson. Oh, mate, his voice is just amazing. Isn't it's, it? a, it's
2: a one-of-a-kind, that one. Roth? Yeah. David Lee Roth. Dave, David Lee Roth as well, but I don't know if David Lee Roth could do it as hard and as often as
1: Bruce Dickinson does.
0: Is it Ian Gillian who was the lead singer of Zeppelin? Who's the lead singer of Zeppelin? Black Sabbath, Led Zeppelin?
1: No, Black Sabbath, Ozzy Osbourne. Ian Gillian, I know that name. Isn't that Joy Division?
0: The original, because the original Judas... In Jesus, Was it the original Judas in Jesus Christ Superstar in the original recording? Wasn't it the lead singer? Uh, Deep Purple. Deep Purple. There you go. Was it Ian Gillian? Is it? Yes. Yeah. 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 So I think he was the original Judas in the original recording of Jesus Christ Superstar.
2: Oh, really? You know,
0: and those guys are just, just those voices are. But for me, I'm a high baritone and anyone out there who's listening who's a high baritone goes, geez, I wished I could be a tenor. You know, you listen to all those rock and roll songs and you just go, uh, can't can't sing. It's too high. It's out of my league. You know, like listen to Farnum. So I remember people would say, if you if you could have one wish in the world, what would your wish be? I, I think I think if you had three wishes, actually, my first wish was to be taller. <laughs> I think my second wish was to be able to sing like John Farnham Yeah, you know, it's uh, I love it. I I love the quality of those voices in in, in that heavy metal genre.
2: Yeah, yeah. Apparently, it, it's saying that Ian from Deep Purple. Uh, he so he reprised the role for four years in the stage version. Um... So you yeah, did it for four years. Yeah. Oh, well, the thing is, like, we did Jesus Christ star in it and I I didn't notice this. We haven't done JC, have we? Oh, no, that was Technicolor Dreamcoat. That's why my head's not that working. That was Joseph.
0: Wrong God story.
1: Yes. Same composer, same ballpark.
0: Yeah, same composer.
3: Yeah.
0: Oh, yeah, so that, that takes it all kind of, because I was trying to think of um, a good rock musical that, you know, for Evan so that he could listen to that, Obviously, he's listening to Zhivago this week, or you both listen to Zhivago, but yeah. what's something that kind of crosses that genre trying to go? Has there been, if you think of things like Hamilton right now as crossing that hip-hop kind of Rent. genre. Well, Rent kind of brought it in there, you know? But, yeah, there are a few other things that I was actually thinking of um, Bad Boy Johnny and the Prophets of Doom.
1: Oh, yeah, Daniel Albinieri.
0: Daniel Albinieri. I saw it in Melbourne in 1903 or something.
1: Oh, wow. With um, Steve Bastoni and Russell Crowe.
0: And the beautiful Nadine Garner.
1: Wow.
2: From what I can tell, he played Jesus Christ.
0: I think you're right, Evan. I think he did play Jesus. He didn't play Judas.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, Judas was Murray Head.
2: Of course. Also Murray Head.
0: One night in Bangkok.
1: Yes, that's right. Anthony Stewart Head's brother, which brings us to Buffy. So, uh, yeah, any anything else on Motley Crue? Oh, they're, they're just legends, aren't they? Just, yeah. Seriously. <laughs> well, they are. Uh, Anyways, so it looks like he's now Dr. Feel Tired, so we're going to rush to an ad break. Don't you frown at me, Evan. <laughs> <laughs> G'day, listeners. Aaron here. Because Evan and I are stuck in Australia, we thought we'd better send a spy to Broadway to check out the shows for us. So here for today's
3: review is our Broadway spy, Spencer. Up next is Mrs. Doubtfire, the musical, based on the film starring Robin Williams. It's that. It is a film adaptation. It is a family show. Rob McClure is the best part of this show. He truly is the only person, in my opinion, who could follow Robin Williams in this role. He makes it his own while also giving you that comedy just that funny. He is funny. He is Daniel Hillard. With this show, I know you have the set designed by David Korns who is fantastic at making houses, as you've seen at Beetlejuice, as you've seen in this show, he makes great suburban houses, and he's very talented. I love what he did with the set for this show. Up next we have the costumes. The costumes, they're casual clothes, there's nothing but we have the prosthetics. What they did to turn Rob McClure into Mrs. Doubtfire is fantastic, and they have a quick change in the show where they do it in 40 seconds. It's insane. It's crazy. I believe Rob McClure has stated that they turn him into Mrs. Doubtfire 248 times in an H show week, which is crazy. This show also stars two younger kids, a boy and a girl, and Annalise Scarpacci, as the older of the Hillard siblings. She is uh, a recent college graduate and is killing it in this show. I'm so excited to see what she does next because she has a powerful voice. It also stars Charity Angel Dawson, who recently was just in Waitress. And she has that powerhouse voice and killed that song. The score is by the Kirkpatrick brothers who also wrote something rotten it's funny but again it's a family show so it's not as funny as something rotten because they're not as dirty in this score now what is this show for is it for tourists or purists this is a tourist show plain and simple it's for families it's for tourists it's a lot of fun it's very cute and it is sad to see this show closing on broadway it's cute like everyone is like, oh, this is bad. It's bad, and I'm like, no, it's not bad. It's fine. It's a mediocre musical. It's not the greatest thing I've ever seen, but it's also not terrible. And that's Mrs. Doubtfire.
2: Anyways, we're back with Thrash and Treasure. I thought you would actually have a go at the um, uh, like you know the the medical system, or you know by the by the cover and the and the title. Because I'm sure it's a poke at I'm sure it's a poke at you know, LA doctors who would just kind of prescribe whatever
1: you ask for. Possibly, yeah, but it was that was a big problem. In Australia, we had the is. sex radio DJ, well at least in Melbourne, Dr. Feelgood. And she was female and she used to give sex advice to us when I was like sex eight advice. I, was... I remember that. Yeah. Yeah, remember that? Do you remember that, Gavin? Dr. Feelgood?
0: Uh, I f- it, it rings true, but mm-hmm. I grew up in Adelaide, so I'm not sure if it was there. I, I, I think it is. Oh, it is
1: Perth, so.
0: Yeah. I, look, I think it was across the border, across the board. Yeah. But I, I didn't listen to it, so not very familiar with Dr. Feelgood. But I, I'm aware of that kind of character that was created on radio for people to call in and say, hi. Hey. It's kind of equivalent of the Dolly Doctor, you know, but on radio.
1: Dolly Doctor. Yep. yep. Anyways, we're back with Thresh and Treasure. I'm Aaron. That's Evan. And we are joined by my former boss, Gavin D. Andrew, who is. Been on how many stages across Australia in how many tours and productions? Three. No, you've been in more than that. Really. <laughs> no. I've seen you in three shows and that house phone is ringing and I'm about to go ring its neck. Anyways, now you were in secret life of us, which is the only entry on your IMDb. I'm, I'm quite surprised by that, but how much method acting did you put in to play the role of photographer?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it was one of those things that um, required a lot of research. I I think to do that, it's one of those things that I actually, you know, I very rarely Google myself or something. And I saw that come up on, Oh, Man, I like I forget that I did these things. It's like, and I get a double credit because I was in the the film because originally it was a, a film and then they they turned it into a TV movie. So I just appeared. I probably got a paycheck for a dollar fifty or something that came through to my agent. And yes, but I was the photographer. Clearly a lot of it. I think I had to bring my own gear and I remember they had the um the stills photographer on set and the stills photographer was looking at my gear and looking at their gear and my gear just kicked its butt game like, was so much better than the stills photography gear on stairs like
1: network 10 for you uh anyways um now you'll have a third credit now after this show because Woo-hoo! podcasts for some reason <laughs> are on imdb oh really yeah Woo-hoo! you have now have an imdb intro i told you this evan you do not pay attention to anything you are as bad as me anyway you're saying i could now google myself you can IMDB yourself. Wow. I had no idea. You can Google yourself anytime. You don't need my permission. Anyways. Now, as, as I had mentioned, I had worked on the newspaper that you had started. And I remember in 2007, I was sitting on the Parramatta River and I got an email or a message from you saying that the paper was ending or am I thinking of something else?
0: No, no, no. It's very possible.
1: I'm pretty certain that was when I found out. And yeah, it was kind of like that moment of, oh, okay, what next? And this is where we've ended up somehow with this show. But um, yeah, anyways, that had nothing to do with anything. We're going to move on to the musical, which is Dr. Shivago which was a half a tour. It was Sydney and Rent was also half a tour. You've also toured with Hello Dolly and South Pacific. You have done more than three tours. And Les is
0: Saigon. Red. yeah.
1: So, anyways, we are doing Dr Zhivago this week. Now, I, as Team Metal, I've reviewed the musical, so we're going to jump into that. When I first saw the cover, I couldn't blame anyone but myself. I've had Dr Zhivago on DVD for 20 years. Never seen it. Just don't have six hours spare for a romance. So <laughs> I pressed play, and knowing the history of this show, could instantly see where it went wrong. So instead of a track-by-track or an explanation of plot, because quite frankly, (laughs) I have some ideas on how to operate on this show and bring it to what Des McAnuff and company were aiming for. Firstly, a hook. Branding is everything. And where Lara's theme from the David Lean film instantly reminds listeners of said film, which I've never seen, but I hear that music, I know what it's from. Instantly. And an epic like Les Mis has its key motif that tingles the spines. Here, there is no glue. So instantly, there is no spine tingles. Look at what the Phantom does to its fans with just two bars of music. But when Dr Zhivago starts, I hear Joseph and amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. So already their branding is taken away from them and put onto another show. Secondly, where is the fun? I know this is Russia, but damn... This doesn't need to happen through music or plot. Look at A Little Night Music, for example, where the lyrics have a wink to them. And lastly, it's about 20 years too late. So without that spine tingling, instantly recognizable motif, nor memorable lyrics to be enjoyed other than Hey Nani Nani, which was pretty fun. It's arrived at the right place just at the wrong time. But after three major attempts, it feels like an incurable problem, and the good doctor is going to get left out in the cold. Two out of five, but that's for the potential that is there. But there isn't that glue which made audiences walk out of there going, "Wow, that music is going to stay with me forever," like it does with *Lame Is*, and even like with *Rent* has its running motifs that linger and they stay with you as you leave that theatre. This. I don't know why the pedigree is there. Lucy Simon is from the Simon sisters. Who is Lucy Simon, Carly Simon, and Simon and Schuster? Like the talent that is there in this family, goodness gracious me. So I, how could they not see that? I don't know. So I think that's where it went wrong. But also I believe there's Snow. Now, there's a psychological thing is when you're watching cold things on a screen or on a stage, you in the audience feel that cold or you feel the warmth. So I don't know how it would have gone with all snowy scenes. Would the audience feel cold through that? So I don't know. I hear there's so much potential and amateur theatre companies would have a field day with this because it is an epic that's within their reach. Yeah. So I think it was a shame at the end of the day it lasted 23 days on broadway or 23 performances like ouch
0: wow yeah that's three weeks
1: and i think that's where they went wrong when there wasn't any quote unquote stars if you will which i think that's a bit of an insult to those performers i'm and i'm not saying that as my personal opinion i'm saying that as as someone who looked at that cast list and only one person instantly stood out to me and i'm not an idiot when it comes to musicals so at least three of them should have stood out, but there wasn't anyone to get that that fan base in. So in terms of selling this to a 2015 audience, that's where they've fallen flat on their face is that there just wasn't anything for that audience, that modern day audience. They just had Hamilton to cling to. And like a couple of years later, they had mm. Oklahoma, which was damn sexy and young people loved it. This was 2007, I think it was, or 2003 at La Jolla Playhouse. So that was its world premiere, but then it was in Australia. And am I remembering correctly? It was touted as a world premiere again.
0: I think so. Yeah. 2010, <laughs> 2011. We opened 2011 at the Lyric. Did we open it at the Lyric? Where did we play?
1: Yeah. And then it, then it came to Melbourne. Yep. yep Lyric Theatre in Sydney yeah
0: fond memories touted as a world premiere because they changed they changed it a bit a
1: yeah. bit or a lot
0: i hadn't heard the, the original version it's very difficult to find so i think that's why it was listed as a world premiere in 2011
2: did you just say anthony wallow wasn't star power
1: no that's australia i think i would never
2: that's it Oh, that's the Australian one. Oh,
1: there's, there it is. The original. All right, gotcha. I have you have more faith in me, Evan? <laughs> yeah.
0: But even on Broadway, I found that having been in the cast and worked with Anthony and, and um Lucy was there during the rehearsals and things like that, I find it really bizarre that they went to Broadway without Anthony.
1: Yeah, I do too, because he'd already done Annie on Broadway by then. So he'd already earned his equity card. So he could have
0: What did you what did you get from it, Evan? Um oh.
1: I haven't been able to see any of the the
2: staging or, or, you know, visually what's going on. Cause you know, sometimes you can have musicals where the, you know, the, the music might not be very strong, but they'll put on, you know, an amazing show and people walk away going, that was amazing. You know, whether, whether the music's any good or not. Yeah. This, I don't know. It, I mean, it sounds, they've obviously gone for, you know, 1960 something sort of era music. And it is very much like that. You know, the orchestration sounds old it's it's i don't know it's the choruses it's, it's the way it's all put together
1: oh you mean thematically not just outdated like you mean it's a deliberate choice for it to sound timely yeah they're, they're going they're going for that sound
0: it's almost it's almost filmic i reckon in the in yeah. its score that it's almost a filmic score
1: it's very lush it's very epic the, yeah. the ingredients are there it just needed a bit more salt and a splash of soy sauce
2: i just found it it sort of cruises along at it starts at like an eight and then peaks at a 10 and then drops down and idles at an eight again you know it's just big all the way through and there's there's no ups and downs and yeah uh, um you know it doesn't seem to uh, not flow but yeah there's there's not lulls and hose ho- lies god my brain just broke you are turning into me yeah um you know like what i was comparing it to to dr feelgood you know it does there's ballads and then kick-ass
1: heavy metal and then another ballad and it, it you know it takes you on a ride there's a band who understands yeah. the flow of an album on that yeah dr Shivago, it's just
2: like i said it starts at an eight and then you know peaks at a ten and then settles back down to an eight again on the edge of time i really did like that stood out big time and and funnily enough the the reprise that's what really sort of went oh that's i don't know if that is sort of the big key song of of the show but it certainly sounded like it
1: that's the problem right there You don't know if it's the big key song of the show. Neither do I, who's loved musicals for 30 years or 37 years, however long I've been alive, right? That's my problem here is that there is no instant branding that people were able to say that's Dr. Shifago, unlike shows like Les Mis and Phantom of the Opera, which are obviously the two biggest ones there to to use. But that's why I guess the prime example, because more people have seen them, they're able to instantly recognize them or the look of the costumes. Are so iconic that you see those characters in know instantly where they're from. There was nothing to sell this show to the tourists and the purists would have avoided it on Broadway because this is a show for tourists. So we're not going to go see that show. And then obviously got no Tony nominations, which is Last Nail in the Coffin. If you don't get any Tony noms, you're gone within a couple of months. And that's what's happening with Mrs. Doubtfire right now. That's about to close because I've got no Tony noms. Well, I've got one. So, yeah. So how working on this, do you have a sense that, you know, you're on this big epic that this could land?
0: Yeah, look, it, it was, it felt like, and even to go back and I, I photographed it at an amateur theatre company about, two years ago or three years ago they did a lovely job of it um but I I think you guys are right and it it felt like that there is so there is so many things to like about it but it doesn't work as a complete piece and it possibly needs somebody to come in and just rip it apart and try and if you want to kind of come in there and 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 put it back together and say look this is how it goes I, I mean if you haven't watched the film, the essential version without giving away too much of a spoiler here is there's a guy, he gets married, he falls in love with another girl, he goes to war and he's basically torn between, you know, the honour of, of staying faithful to his wife or staying faithful to his feelings
1: Oh, I'm bored already. Does anyone die?
0: <laughs> oh, plenty of people die because it's the Russian Revolution. Oh, and but was- yeah.
1: do the main characters, do Any of the lovers, do any of the um, lovers die? Is this a tragedy that I can look no, forward to? not
0: enough people die. Well, the, in- the, the interesting thing, and from people who hadn't seen the show, having been in there and researched it, trying to figure out, you know, if you're in the White Army or if you're in the Red Army or is the Red Army the good army or is the White Army the good army, the army, the good army and, And who are all these people, you know? So the character of Pasha marries um, the young girl at the start who becomes Zhivago's muse, um, who then turns into, I can't even remember his name, but he's the bad guy who basically his motto is no mercy. So it's interesting in our current world to go back and just listen to that, given the events that are, are unfolding in places like Ukraine to hear someone who is a Russian uh, or an ex-Russian soldier just go, "We show no mercy, and there is no mercy at all." To it, it kind of sends chills, I think. To to think this is how these people operated then, and, and potentially this is how they are operating now. So, so there are some interesting things that I find relevant to listen to now because of what's happening in Ukraine. Uh, does that make it relevant? Probably not to an entire piece i think lucy has written some beautiful beautiful tunes and and songs and melodies in there and i think evan you you put the nail you you get right to it that there are you're hovering at an eight and there's no kind of gentle release and also aaron you mentioned that there's no comedy i mean you think of a lay is it is called the miserable right that's what it is but You've got people like the Tenardiers in there who are there to lighten up. Even though it's dark comedy, it is there to kind of lighten the mood. This is, this is if you like, akin to, um, oh, the, the famous Russian playwright. Um, my gosh, I'm, I'm just forgetting. Oh, the
1: seagull, Chekhov.
0: Chekhov, that's him. Like, he's listed as a comedy playwright. This is Russian comedy. And, like, okay, if that's Russian comedy, then potentially this is... Russian comedy music theatre because there's not a lot funny about it. No. And there's not a lot of funny about Chekhov's plays either, you
1: know, so. No, and you do need that that bit of, is it levity or brevity? Those two words, I cannot get right. But you need to lighten the mood up a little bit. And But even with Les Mis, there's so much volleying between Javert and Valjean through that that is so intense and so goddamn compelling. Yep. So there is sort of that gripping nature to that. There wasn't anything in this that, besides the hey, nanny, nanny, which is more me being <laughs> yeah. a dickhead. No, um, I'd
2: laughed. I heard that and, and, and I was
1: giggling to myself. Like, seriously? They went with hey, nanny, nanny? Yeah, like I, I don't know where that came from or anything. I,
0: I, I'd actually forgotten about it until I heard it. Went, Oh, that's right. <laughs> in, in, the, in the show or in our version, it was the opening to Act 2. That's probably there just to kind of say that you know we've moved away from from the war to a little rural town, and then even even now you know they're starting to get affected because their their boys or their men are being taken, Um, and that's the hard thing. The Russian Revolution is not an easy thing to get your head around. And if you haven't, if you're not watching the show, um, that's why I thought it would be interesting to listen to what you got from Evan and Aaron to see. If you're able to go on those journeys with Lara and I've even forgotten um, Zhivago's wife's name, but if you haven't seen it and you're not physically going on that journey by watching it in front of you, how do you go on that journey mentally by listening to it? Because you just go, mm. who are, who, who's this person now and why are they here?
1: But lame is is the same in that respect, and it is such a long-winded story. My first introduction to that was the tenth anniversary concert, so there wasn't much of a storyline. There was a few subtitles which explained a few things, but we had to piece together those lyrics ourselves. You know, filling in those pieces, and that it was clear through the music in this none of that was clear through the music there was no real clarity in in terms of who's who there was no identity for any of the the characters as well which i think is is important that you should know when once the song starts who's going to sing that
2: yeah no touching on what you were talking about before the the relevance uh, certainly within just just war itself i was talking about trying to inject comedy i mean it's not a great comedic story really when you're yes. talking about a proper war
1: it's not about being comedic it's about comedic moments yeah well the, i mean i was going
2: to say it, i found it quite poignant There was that moment with where um a character saying oh, the the soldiers have taken my brother and it's it's the white army or the red army so oh, who, who can tell anymore it's, just, it's they've just taken him i don't know just from watching the news lately it's it's you know soldiers are soldiers and you know you <sighs> soldiers are coming into your town you can, you're going to run either way you know, um, and you're going to stop to check which side they're on. Um, you know, they because they're just running around making a hell of a mess. And yeah, that was that was poignant. At least if, if, that I did get out of it. Just bringing home, you know, just wars, just shit.
0: <laughs> yes, I agree. And and interesting. So in the show, and this is one thing that that wasn't really conveyed on the the recording, and it, it's hard because it's a visual thing. Is that you see the start of the? So let's. Russian army I think it's the white army in the in the in the war they basically decide to turn on their generals and go like we've had enough of this we've run out of food we've run out of water you still want us to fight we've got no weapons we've got no thingy and they turn around and they sing a song called blood on the snow and it's literally in the in the show you see that you see the little fragments happening throughout the piece but when you're listening to it it came as quite jarring and you don't go on that journey of a soldier turning around and shooting somebody that they've just spent the last year with because it's the best thing for everybody that I have to kill this my brother, essentially. And it's a really poignant moment and and I think it was really... To be on stage at that moment was really special I guess because you you felt that change you had to go on that change of energy there and uh, and and that was good and I, and I felt that on a recording you can't get that you're not in a theater hearing a, a live gunshot blast as you turn around and fire on a, a soldier who's giving you orders you know and that, similar things have happened throughout war in when we were doing Saigon we talked about I think it was called fragging um where I think that's um, platoon the whole film platoon is based around fragging which is if i'm correct which is where the platoon turns on the person in charge they basically you know you've got a whole lot of 18 to 20 year old young men being told what to do by one other person and they just go we've had enough and we're in a bush no one's going to know you know jeffrey you know, jeffrey just got shot by the enemy who's going to cut who's going to know you know and it's that same kind of thing but yeah look to perform it and if you have a look at my um, my genre and the stuff that I really love. It's all about musical drama. It's about those passionate stories. It's not about the musical comedies. You know, it's Les Mis, it's Saigon, it's Zhivago. It, I, I love that. I love that. That you can get lost in these stories, and when I step on stage, I like to just kind of forget about me and just go on those journeys. And when the bell rings, the bell rings, and I just go back to being me. And and <laughs> and just just it's one of those things that you you hear about the theatre the people, you know, you have to be able to turn on a dime. And I, I remember. There's a wonderful performer, and anyone who's in uh, in America will know Milton Craig Neely, who was our our John um, in Saigon. And I just remember him; he'd be in the wings, he'd be laughing and chatting, and he literally just stepped foot on stage and just change. And I just remember being in such awe of this man that he just goes, "Yep, you know," because as actors, we need to know that journey, and sometimes it takes longer to get to there. But the more often you do it, the, the easier it is you can tune in to go, "Bang! I got a uh, who was it? I think." One of someone was talking to Simon about Judy Dench being able to pour on the tears. I think that was Aaron. No, Evan. Oh yeah. Oh, you were talking about how Judy Dench can just go bang.
1: Yeah. I called her that bitch and muted it.
2: <laughs> yeah. And that was just like a, a like an interview show. It wasn't even for a performance. It was the South Bank show. To be able to cry on command in the middle of a song. And and still nail it just to turn it on like that.
0: Yeah. And that's that's the amazing thing, is that as an actor, when you get to that ability, you you have to be able to just go bang and you can just walk off stage. Or most people, you can just walk off stage and literally yeah. you're just back into your normal world and
1: just performing yeah. in general, like even on this show, right before I start the call, I am losing my shit and I am completely <laughs> hopeless. And I no matter what's going on, and as soon as the guest steps in this room, like I have to step up to that plate. As soon as I step in, you know, and yeah. I have to be a completely different. I'm like completely different with our guests, Evan, than what I am talking to you in the middle of the night on Zoom. <laughs> and I'm just like blah 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 blah, and rant rant rant, and just lose my mind about stupid things. Yeah, but then I have to perform. And I have to not be me, so I get it. I do. I know.
2: We well, exactly. have to
0: be a version of you. You're not being you, but you're being mm. a version of you. You know. Yes. So.
2: Yeah. I I've actually described your uh, your podcast, Aaron, as Aaron who's
1: just happy to be alive.
2: <laughs> Funnily enough, it's yeah. the same with um. I hear a lot from uh professional wrestling. Their their personas. They yeah. When
1: they
2: when they develop them, they'll they'll take an aspect of themselves and then just exaggerate the hell out of it.
1: Yep, and drag queens do the same. And but no, this is this isn't about me. How did we get on to me? This about Dr. Jimago. <laughs> um because you're always talking about you. No, I'm not. That's that's such a lie. Like I this is the second time in Australia that we've sort of tried this epic musical. We we tried it with Eureka the first time, which as you can tell by the look on Gavin's oh, face,
0: didn't really work out. Shaking my hand shaking my head
1: don't know what happened there they should keep trying though is one don't give up just because we've had a couple of failures that you know just didn't hit the mark
0: i remember watching eureka i had many friends who were in it and just being so disappointed last week once again we all when you were talking with simon and you you raised the question about australian recordings why don't we do any recordings in australia and look i i agree i i disagree with with simon i understand that you know it's about well, the, the thing is that a, a recording makes you immortal. Essentially, it's that people like it and listen to it. If you think of the Australian recording of Jesus Christ Superstar.
1: 92 with John Farnham, Kate Sobrano. People, guests have come on this show and brought it up to me. And I'm like, yes, oh, my God, yes.
0: <laughs> it's it's a great recording. And if you look at if we talk about Zhivago and we, and we bring it back to there, had they recorded Anthony Warlow? in Zhivago, who is infinitely better than the, the guy from Broadway who does a lovely job, but he's not Anthony Warlow. And it's the difference is there are not many people that interpret a lyric or interpret dialogue through music like Anthony Wallow. He is just, you know, if you think about the Brack and once again, Simon alluded to this, too, to himself, to Anthony Warlow, Philip Quast, Deborah Byrne, um, Marina Pryor, If you go back 30 years to that group of people in Les Mis and and Phantom of the Opera in the late 80s and early 90s, we have not produced musical theatre stars like those people since that time. And that's not to say they're not there, but just like Hollywood hasn't, you know, you, you could have gone with, your, if you go to your Rat Pack of the Sammy Davis Jr. and Blue Eyes and those guys. And then, you know, maybe 30 years on, you had your Tom Cruise and all those guys who were in.
1: The Brat Pack. Yeah,
0: there was a there was a Brat Pack.
1: Yeah, Mestilio Estevez. Emilio Estevez. Mm-hmm. I screwed that up. Ali Sheedy and.
0: Yeah, Charlie Sheen.
1: Molly Ringwald.
0: Patrick Swayze, I think, is also part of that as well in that Hollywood Rat Pack that came through because they did I can't remember there was a a show about a whole bunch of kids from the Bronx and and all those guys were all in it um anyway it's that kind of thing that if you think of music theater in Australia we haven't even though there might be people of that quality we haven't given them that poise which is why you know you get to Christmas and you know the David Hobson is finishing off with Marina Pryor and all the same people who are coming back who have been there for 20 years or 30 years, you go, I mean, we've got the Simon Gleasons and there's Sylvie Palladinos and there was Amanda Harrison and all those crew, but none of them have reached that status that Warlow, Simon Burke, Philip Quast, Deborah Byrne, Marina Pryor, there is no one now that has that kind of aura. So it's just interesting, I think, from because they're there, there's definitely so much talent in Australian music theatre That's why I'm not. That's why, for all those people who don't know me, it's because I'm not there anymore. I'm just standing on the outside looking and going, wow, those kids coming up are so good I, I'll, I'll say thank you for my time and, and think that i was really really lucky and had some great opportunities and and just look on now at these wonderful kids coming through get back into it don't quit <laughs> i haven't quit i'm just good you know i've got two children now and it's uh yeah true touring is not a, a game for a family man it's really hard you know so hence just putting shows on for my kids making sure they can get into it
1: <laughs> that is true uh, on that note looks like the doctors now dr tired, so we're rushing to an ad break. <laughs> G'day listeners, Aaron here. While you're topping up your coffees, did you know that you can support our show and go on a fantastically scary adventure at the same time? Go to www.thetonistontales.com forward slash bookstore, to grab your copy of The Toniston Tales, a darkly funny Aussie trilogy about a young boy who rescues injured animals in his spare time, and the rollercoaster ride he's taken on by a literal fish out of water. Written by me, the village idiot of thrash and treasure, you'll come to love Toniston Turnbull and the dozens of wacky characters that he meets along the way. And here is a sneak peek. After barely three hours of light sleep, Toniston Turnbull slowly opens his eyes, his body feeling heavier than it ever has before, not from extra weight, from tiredness and stress. Polly sighs in the shadows behind him, the flame of the nearest barbed wire tiki torch tower having died down, but not out, while Toniston napped. "'Are you awake?' Toniston whispers." how can i sleep in this place polly moans turning onto her side and facing toniston who stays on his back imagining obscure animal-esque shapes in the rusted tin roof above them shadows faintly formed by the nearest dying torches we need to work out a way to get out of here toniston states the obvious he whispers despite the fact the nearest shacks to their own are several metres away and the occupants presumably asleep as most prisoners seem to be How? There's no fence to squeeze through, or even climb, Polly replies, sitting up in bed and then stretching out her sore arms. The hairs stand on end from the slight chill in the air. I don't know, but I think the whole fighting thing is a distraction. You mean, to distract the other prisoners when new ones arrive? No, I I think that was just bad timing. Didn't you notice? Toniston goes on to explain his theory. That fight happened, everybody gathered around, I didn't see one person who wasn't watching, and then when I vomited, the only gate in this place closed shut. What are you trying to say? I think something happened when everyone's back was turned. Like what? Whispers Polly, her voice breaking up in fear. I don't know. That's what we've got to find out. Toniston's brain starts working overtime, but it's strange that nobody seems to want to leave. They seem almost... happy. Definitely content. So, when's the next one of those stupid beatdowns? Toniston can't help but think Polly looks tough, almost evil in the shadows, as she asks, I don't know, Toniston begins, but both teenagers are distracted by a crumbling noise in the distance. Hopping out of bed, Toniston joins Polly on her own, equally uncomfortable one. Spotting a large, white package hovering close to the cave ceiling, behind it, a shadowy figure. The package is lowered down, causing the teenagers themselves to lower as well, hoping not to be spotted by whom, or what, may be operating this obscure crane. Over a long, slow descent, the package is dropped to the ground. Polly keeps her eyes on it, but Toniston looks up immediately, spotting a large black shadow scurry away to God only knows where. Come, he whispers, as he quietly hops off her bed, slipping into his docks with bare feet. Polly follows his lead. Careful to keep watch on all directions, the teenagers swiftly sneak over to the white package, their hearts beating an almost tribal jam in perfect harmony and stopping in their tracks as the sudden realisation of what lies before them sinks in. A woman, seemingly in her early 20s, wrapped up in bandages from the neck down. No, not bandages. Is that... Spider web? Polly asks completely mortified at the prospect? Grab your copy of The Toniston Tales from com forward slash bookstore today. Hooroo! Anyways, we're back with Russian Treasure. I'm Aaron, that's Evan, and we are joined by my mate and one of Australia's prime theatre stars, no matter what he says, Gavin D. Andrew, who I've seen in numerous shows. I think you and Bert Labonte are the two guests that I've seen the most perform. In fact, I think you're the only two guests that I've seen perform. <laughs> <laughs> well, so there we go. No, no, you're not, actually. But anyways, can you do any celebrity impersonations? uh no you can't oh
0: how's that do i have any no i can do really bad accents but um (laughs) that's about it yeah i don't have any celebrity it's not a skill set that i have how sad
1: that is i'm i'm devastated because i'll be asking every guest from from now on
0: (laughs) yeah here we go
1: oh well anyways photography now you've shot a lot of shows which is one you don't have to name well, I'll, I'll, if you do name, it, if you want me to bleep it out, I, I will. But what's one professional show that you've shot that you were thankful to have not been in?
0: Oh, yeah, that's um. I don't know. I'm a pretty easily entertained kind of guy. And there's very few shows that I've actually seen. And I've seen a lot of shows, especially with young kids, because that's I I photograph a lot of school theatre and amateur theatre and stuff. But no, I'm I'm always finding something positive from any show I attend. If I can mention the worst show, I'd love to mention this because it makes me laugh. The, the worst show I've ever seen was at the Riverside Theatre. And you might have to bleep this out.
1: In Parramatta.
0: In Parramatta. But I had a friend who just finished Les Mis and she was doing this show and she said, you've got to come and see this show. It's really not so good. And we were doing Les Mis at the time. And I think there was about 10 of us and we booked the front row of the theatre at the Riverside Theatre. And I don't want to say any more now. I feel like I've overstepped the mark. Well, we were, we were in the front row, literally with tears streaming down our face from trying not to laugh so much because it was so absurd. And had I been in that show, I probably would have, yeah, I wouldn't have wanted been in that. but apart from that, I you know there's always something good um, to, to to take away. And when you're behind the camera, you can you're concentrating on images. so, sometimes you get a different perspective you I, i've been to a couple of shows that i photographed and went oh, i'll come back and i'll see this and i and i come back and the experience is different because now i'm focusing on on everything and here's another little thing that's interesting so if i'm in row g and i'm in the middle and that's probably you know gh is where you want to be if you're watching a show right i need to i need my binoculars because i'm so used to having a 300 mil lens where i can just look at people like this and I want to see what the ensemble are doing. You know, my whole career has pretty much been in the ensemble and then covering leads. And I want to know that they're on. If I'm at that show, I want to see the relationship that's going on on stage. So I need my goggles. So if you're out there and you're performing and you see some old bald guy in the middle of the road G with some goggles, <laughs> it would be me. Just making sure you're on par that night. You're not just phoning it in.
1: Yeah. You, you mentioned you'd done a lot of covers. Um, Mis, did you play a character? I Can't Find My Programme. And how do you pronounce that character's name?
0: The character's name is Jolie.
1: Oh, is that how it's said? I didn't want to embarrass myself and try to pronounce (laughs) it. Jolie, yeah. Isn't it like E-N-J-O-L-R-A-S? No, no,
0: no, no, no. That's that's Andra, and I covered Andra.
1: Oh, okay, because it was written on your website or something.
0: Yeah, look, I've got one photo. In fact, it's the if I could find it now, I would show you. It's this it's the photograph that was taken by a friend of mine during a dress rehearsal of me playing Onjura, of which I got to perform once at the Theatre Royal. That was it. And I found out as I walked in the door, so I didn't have any time to tell anyone to come and see me. Oh, God. The only person I know who came to see me play Onjura was the company manager. She came out into the audience to see me play wow. Oh, um, yeah. But I loved it. Um, I loved that role and I loved Covering. In fact, I was, because I just finished Saigon with Guy Simpson, who was our musical director on Les Mis, and I was working um, with him on the Marius material, and I think I got to the final callback, and they all went, we know you've been working on the Marius material, Gav, but did, do you know the Onjura material? I was like, yes, because <laughs> here's the, so Evan, yeah. have you ever seen Les Mis?
2: No, no, not at all. I know nothing about it. Yeah, it was, it was funny you just sort about added that at the end, that you were, you know, excited to, to jump into a different role because i was going to say that would just terrify me one day to just rock up and and they're like oh you know that thing you've been rehearsing for like eight weeks well we want you to do his instead that would be terrifying
0: Uh it is and it's one of those things i mentioned to to aaron um just over the email over the week that i, I love understudying characters especially a principal role because you get to go on and you you tell the thing that i love is telling the stories singing those songs that those characters do and going, getting in their headspace and, and going on those journeys. That's what I really enjoy. But what's really nice is that you get to put on the big pants, you know, for a show or two or maybe a week, and then you just go back and you can, you, you just go back to your normal role in the ensemble. And it doesn't mean that you relax, but there's just a more, I, I guess it is a more easy going because it's your role and you realise how important it is for the, the people that are doing, you know, the big pants rolls for eight shows a week that they've got you know quite a bit of pressure on them right there and whilst every time I set foot on stage I'm going on those journeys which is the exciting and interesting part of any production and why I can do it eight shows a week is because you just you know you put your clothes on and, and you go in and you and you just disappear for a while and then come out but not everyone's like that let me tell you hello to all those people out there who Love to change it up every day and those people out there know who they are if they are listening. And then that makes it wonderfully entertaining as well because they are professionals and they know how they can keep it light and entertaining and, and different every every show, you know? Because if you're, if you're doing a show for a couple of years, you don't want to get old and stale. It's just... No. So just going back to, to Evan's question. So, yes, I enjoy the challenge of going onto one role. But in Givago, I was actually a cover. And, and not a cover, I was a swing. So the difference between a swing, a swing mm. needs to understudy all the ensemble parts and a, a cover understudies a principal part. So, for yeah. example, in Chivago there were two male swings, um, myself and Chris Scalzo, who was brilliant. He's, he's just so switched on and, and so good, Chris Scalzo. Yeah, so he did half the male ensemble first as his first priority and I did the other half and then we started learning the others. But you've literally got to be ready to go on. Bang, we were doing Zhivago and someone got injured in one of the scenes and literally you get a call saying, oh. uh, Gavin, ex has just injured themselves, get into your character for whatever it is. And literally on this show, I and I played this role quite a few times, I ran upstairs because you're just hanging out in the green room, chilling ready in, got into my costume and I was just getting ready and I know that this person had to come on and they had to sing these lines at the start of this next scene so I was just and us just trying to get down on the stage getting into the right costume and and getting there just in time and I, I think i literally just walked straight through onto onto prompt side and then bang straight on the stage with these opening lines and it was just like there was no time but that doesn't happen all that time generally you know you know someone will say they're sick and you just have a little bit of a brush over it you know the half or something like that but yeah every now and then it's just bang and i, I would love to mention my my dear mate and and a friend to everyone in music theater hoggy oh yes glenn I- hogstrom who will be regarded in this industry as probably the best swing that this country has ever known. He's just, he was brilliant. And we lost Hoggy uh, earlier this year. Last year. Late last year. Yeah. But just uh, just yeah. his ability, and you just speak to people who who worked with Hoggy, his ability just to walk on and just, unlike me, I'm like, oh, no. Hoggy's is like, Chill, he's got it. You, Hoggy's on stage, he's got it. So, yes, a big shout out to to our man Hoggy. And sad to have lost him from our world, but he will definitely be recognised by those of us who have been in the industry for a long time as one of the best swings that we ever had around, and such a joy to be in in a cast with.
1: Just a really lovely guy too. Absolutely. At the end of the day, just to sit there and have a drink with him at a yeah. cast party was I was the odd one out and he was so incredibly warm like they all were very much so but
0: a great a great human being not only a, a wonderful swing but a great human being so yes, yes different different roles call for different superpowers I guess Evan mm-hmm. mm, you No, know? yeah. uh, and and for me I that was my first time that I swung and I really I wasn't great at it I'm sorry <laughs> um, I, I enjoyed doing some parts but not others you know um, it's not my thing, but there are people out there who do it and do it bloody well and, and they deserve medals.
1: Now, do you think that the Tony Awards should award a uh, best swing or best understudy or something sort of recognised?
0: Yeah, look at that. It's, um, it's an interesting understudies, swings, that's a hard call. Should they be recognised? I think they're always recognised by their peers. Everyone who mm. steps foot on stage eight shows a week knows that, a swing's got you covered or a cover has has your back and all those things, and they are so important. And even now, just to put it in perspective, doing a little primary school production, you know, we've got COVID going around and wiping people out every now and then. We've got a, a pool of 300 kids to try and cast a show. Now, we've just managed to cast it, but, you know, even this week alone, I've got seven kids out because they've got COVID. Now, come October when we perform, and... I I photographed a production three weeks ago and it was their final dress rehearsal and two of the leads were off with COVID.
1: Oh, goodness me.
0: You know, and so, you know, they had covers, but I go, okay, so in my little primary school, do I, you know, assign some understudies and covers? And if you do, do you give those kids a performance? Because they're going to have to work hard to learn all the parts and all the roles of the people who are going to do the role. But as an understudy, you have to realise that you may never get to do that. I've understudied roles and I've never performed them. Um, And that's just one of the, you get paid as a professional, you get paid to come in and rehearse, you get paid to learn and and be on standby. But, you know, I'm just going to go in my school where I've just managed to get, you know, the whole show cast once, can I cast it again? Or, Mm. and, and what are the chances of, you know, more people in the cast getting COVID? Do I try and cast it from someone who's just done a production, you know? three suburbs away and just go to the talk to the music theater performer or the, you know, the performing arts teacher. Hey, you know how you did that show a year ago if anything goes wrong. So yes, look the understudies, look, I don't know. I think it's wonderful for them to be um, rewarded, but I think it, it then turns it into a competition. You know, pretty, pretty much, you know, it's, you know, is the understudy, is the understudy better than the performer? Does it matter? Cause everyone tells a different story a different way. And just like anything artistic, it's all subjective. You know, you might prefer one person in the role, Evan might prefer another person in the role. They all do a brilliant job, but it just comes down to personal taste at the end of the day.
2: Bringing it back to, you know, having awards for these things. I mean, you get, you know, uh, the the staging gets awards, the art direction gets awards, you know, the costumes get awards. What about the swings
1: and the understudies? Give us an MVP award. Look, I agree. I agree that they do deserve even... If it's not going to be an award, a pay rise. (laughs) for what they have put up with for the past two years, right? Or at least the past year of theatres opening and closing, opening and closing, opening and closing. So if this is going to be done, it has to be done in a way that, yes, it will have to be turned into a competition. But logistically, it's going to be a nightmare for producers. But too bad. You've got to be creative about it. You're going to have to have certain performances because the Tony rules are that if you're a Tony voter, you have to see all the shows and if you don't you can't vote in that certain category or whatever it is right you're Mm -hmm. exempt from that so to guarantee that the voters are going to be seeing the replacements or the alternates or the understudies or swings right you're going to have to have set Performances for that In which case You're literally Asking people Hey can you take A day off work In your leading roles So that Your replacements Can get paid So that's already Going to cause A bit of a problem For people To be like You can take A day off now Out of the spotlight And your paycheck And that You know that's That won't go down well
0: Because there are Performers out there Who pride Especially old school Performers And I don't know If there's Who never want To take a show off You know Like
1: Yep mm. Billy Crystal Doesn't have an understudy Right because Their mentality there is no one is going to see Saturday Night Live, uh, Saturday Night Lives. Uh, Mr. Saturday Night to see anyone but Billy Crystal. Wow. So to see his understudy, uh, uh, oh my God, I can't even friggin' talk. To see his understudy, there's, there's no understudy because you're not, no one's. You know you, You're there to see Billy Crystal
0: It's like going to see Hugh Jackman in concert And Hugh Jackman's off that night Yeah Yeah <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh Hugh Jackman's understudy Will yeah. be on for his show tonight That would be interesting
1: But in some Some singer In Australia Or some international singer, I've never heard of him He cancelled a concert Because having the flu Or something like. I don't know But Don't like ring a bell Like these These things are going to happen In terms of people Needing replacements And in the past uh, Year and a half Yes it has been very intense so either it's going to have to be an honorary thing or it's going to have to be per team you can't single out an individual there because an individual a an understudy may understudy three different roles and it's going to be sheer dumb luck that they're going to be nominated for whatever role they get nominated for because they were on that time as that role whereas they may be better in a different role you know what i mean like there's so much
0: but you also need to to look at the like the different scores, so for Rent, like I think of people like Thern Reynolds, once again another brilliant steward of the music theatre industry over here in Australia, and also a brilliant swing dance captain, just and lovely human being. But those guys who did Rent, like understudying, I can't even remember the song at the La Vie Boheme, all that stuff going in there. You've got counter melodies going everywhere, and these guys have to learn every part and be ready to go on and fill in for any part at any time. You're like, oh, oh, my gosh, it was just hard enough for me just to learn my part, let alone those guys having to learn multiple parts. And and that's the thing is that you're not comparing apples with apples, you know, how do you, I, I don't know. I think it would be a hard call. I think that the industry knows, respects, loves, um, and and supports the people who understudy. And I think to start giving awards to it starts being hard, you know, unless there is... I don't know I like the idea of an MVP
2: there <laughs> yeah like you said a you know a
1: peer-reviewed sort of voting system it may not be a Tony but you know it'll be a an honorary Tony they give them out they've just given them out
0: what happens in rock and roll
1: yeah that's the thing they just don't go on you know
0: like no, they drummer... don't
1: they get replacement musicians
0: oh,
2: not uh, not that often not that often.
0: You wouldn't replace a lead singer, though, would you? Like, if
2: No. Well, you know, there's been cases, you know, drummer's broken a finger. That's it. We're just not playing tonight. You know, you can't. You know, the bass player can't just pick up the lead guitar. It's just not going to happen. You know, and there's no understudy for, you know.
0: Brian May won't be playing tonight, so we've got his understudy on to play. It's like, (laughs) oh, hang on.
2: Yeah. Well yeah, it depend it depends on the band. It does. Yeah, it does does
1: depend on the band. It, 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 it has happened in the past, but it's not it's not the standard, is yeah.
2: I was just trying to think. Like you had um you had uh the lead singer of Judas Priest stand in, I think for Ozzy Osborne, um, and do like entire shows, but that and that's just a weird and random one-off though, like that you could have someone good enough and knows the material well enough to just get up and play with the band and, and the crowd loved it. You know, the crowd would go mental because
1: it's you're replacing a star with another star. That's a big difference as well. Thank you for the segue there. I'm going to move us along. because we're running out of time, (laughs) standing ovations. What has been your experience with standing ovations as an audience member, as well as on stage, do you feel like audiences have changed maybe?
0: Yeah. I'm not one who gets to their feet very often. I have to really be moved. It needs to be genuine for me. The last time was for "Come from Away."
1: Yeah, and then I regretted it.
0: Uh, I didn't regret it. I <laughs> I really enjoyed it, and as a performance piece, I really enjoyed it, and I stood for that. But I hadn't stood for anything for probably fifteen years. You know, so it has to. It has to touch you and motivate you to stand I'm I, everyone can, everyone else can stand up around me and i'll still sit on my bum if i don't think it's worthy yeah, of it yeah. <laughs> me too that's just how it is <laughs>
2: you're the grumpy old guy in the middle with his binoculars going nah didn't feel it
0: nah person person up on the right was not yeah. there tonight they were just phoning it in i'm not yeah. standing until that person gets gets with the show but no <laughs> but and look it's quite often it's it feels like a little bit of obligation i think on opening nights now that an audience will rise to say thank you. And look, as a as a member of a cast, to see a, a house rise is brilliant and it's uplifting and I get it.
1: And misleading. It's misleading because you walk away going, wow, we got a standing ovation. We were really awesome tonight. Like, and you go around telling everyone, we got a standing ovation tonight. And it's like, dude, they were obliged to.
0: But, but you, you can also put that into perspective that so much work and so much goes into a show now before it goes, especially in Australia, because we get them handed down from America or from London. So they've been worked. So, you know, to a point the audience has um, seen a work that has come through such a stage that when they get to see it, I understand that that can lift them to their feet because, you know, a lot of work has gone into it, you know. So I, I do get it from that perspective that, yes, maybe people are a little bit lighter on their feet because we are lucky in this country that we have such a great pool of talent um, to put into any show that comes to town you know and if I go back and I have I mentioned this I think I mentioned this I'm not sure whether it was before we started recording but I I said to Aaron I went back and had a listen to well I had a listen to the American cast the Broadway cast recording of Zhivago just before we we came to the recording um, because I hadn't heard it and what I found really interesting was that it's a musical set in Russia, but now they have American accents. So I did find quite jarring, whereas in Australia, our accent is a little bit more neutral. I guess it does lend itself a little bit more to the English genre than necessarily the the American genre, but I did find it very jarring listening to Russian people sounding as Americans or Americans, (laughs) whatever it was. I did find that a bit kind of farcical, whereas definitely here in Australia, You know, we do have a reputation for being grittier and and gruntier and grimier when it comes to performing. That's what Cam Mack, when he would come back and he'd say, I love watching the Australian cast because they bring some kind of earthiness to it that we don't get. Broadway is really precise and you can hear that in their recording of Javago. It is really precise, which I think is beautiful in Greece. I think the precision and that, Articulation is, is awesome And that's what Broadway does better than anywhere else in the world But I, I think that a, a musical drama like Zhivago Gets so much grunt and grit from Aussie performers that, you know, essentially They might have shot themselves in their foot by Not getting the Aussies to record it
2: Yeah, bringing up the, the Australian cast album Thing again, apparently uh, it, it was planned for Zhivago. Yeah, Apparently there are two songs from it there are. Uh, With Anthony Warlow on, on YouTube I think I
0: have them And Lucy Maunder, yeah Edge of Time, I think, is one of them,
2: Evan. I think Edge of Time okay. is on there. Oh, great. Well, they picked the right song. But, yeah, uh, just from, from listening, all the yeah. musicals I have been listening to, you know, just, just through the show and, and the odd occasion where there are multiple copies of a you know, Broadway copy and in London, you know, yeah. there'll be a West End recording, um, how vastly different they can be. The West End production, they just take it in a completely different direction. You know, the same music, same lyrics, but somehow just a completely different feel to a show. So, yeah, there should be, I really haven't come across a lot of Australian recordings where, when, you know, we, where no, you can, you don't. or just in general, I haven't come across a lot of Australian recordings. And and then when there's shows that I'm really sort of a fan of, something like Gypsy, I went through and listened to all the different Gypsy cast recordings.
1: There's four or five of them.
2: Yeah. A fair few. There's
1: even more than that that aren't available.
2: Yeah. So, yeah, I did go through and listen to those. So, yeah, yeah there needs to be more Australian cast recordings, definitely.
1: We do. We do. Now... When you look at the Rent cast from Australia, you have Natalie Bassingthwaite, Matt Lee, Mig Aesa, who was in Rock Band in Excess. You have this hot, young cast of Australians, Christine Anu, Roger Corsa. Look what he's gone on with his mm. career. Why the did we not get a recording? Because if those cast members had been immortalised, that CD would be worth a hell of a lot today, I'll tell you that. Anyways, I, I'm so fired up about it.
0: We, it was going to happen. I kind of, it's bizarre. We, we must have got into a recording studio somewhere because I have a vision of us in the recording studio. What we did, because it was going to happen, and they pulled the plug at the last minute, but as a, as a group we all decided to make our own cast album but not of rent, so we all contributed one song to our own personal little cast album, which included members of the band and, oh, wow. and places like that. So we were all invited to contribute one song for our little Rent album, which I have somewhere buried. And it was one of those things that became, for the cast of Rent, it was one thing that we never shared with any of our fans. It was just our personal album. Oh, please. Um, yeah, it was, you know, because you've got people like Christine Arnoux who records and so she put yeah. stuff in there. I think Roger Corsa put in there. I'm not sure. Mark Richard Ford, who we lost a few years ago.
3: Oh, really? Um,
0: oh. oh, just And I think it was, was he from America. He was, yeah. Just.
1: Collins, yeah.
0: Oh, just for me, once again, in, and we haven't talked about highlights in my short, illustrious career, but standing on a stage with Mark Richard Ford singing.
1: I'll cover you. Reprise.
0: Uh, like even now, even now, I'm just getting goosebumps thinking of you know sharing those moments on stage with him like that. Just special, just really, you know. So yeah, and and disappointing not to have of that. But yeah, there are some important things that um should be recorded legally, I guess. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure there are a lot <laughs> yeah. of illegal recordings going around.
1: Even just like Fiona Choi, she's had a great career in the past however many years like justin smith
0: he's been doing really well smithy ah oh.
1: pretty stevens on the voice
0: yeah
1: like there is such a cast here that had a career beyond this show because it didn't tour it did sydney and melbourne it didn't go round australia like a lot of them do now
0: they tried. I can't. I don't know why it didn't happen. You know, we we lost a few cast members at the end of Melbourne because they were unsure whether they were going to tour. So we lost Miguel and Pete Murphy to fame. It was probably just enough for them to kind of go. Mm, I don't know, but they they hesitated, and that was and that mm. that was the end of it. Really, it was sad. It was it was a good show. A, a really good cast.
1: It was a great show, Gavin. Yeah, I saw it. It blew my mind and woke me the hell up. And to have Freddie on this show to discuss it with her—goodness gracious me!
0: Oh yeah, of course. Oh, so you got to listen to it, didn't you, Evan? You got to listen to Rent.
1: Yeah, I'll, I'll just do it. I, I watched a pro shot. Um,
2: yeah, familiar with it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Can't say I know it as as
2: intimately as Aaron does, but yeah, I have seen. Well, not seen it, but I've, yeah, I've seen the pro shot. I uh, didn't watch the film. That's okay. So I'm, it's, I'm on the right track there.
0: It's, it's better. I think it's a better experience live, you know. It's um, one of those things I, I kind of, I love the the performances, but I'm not a fan of the direction of the film. I think that um, it needed to be a bit edgier. I think that it needed to take it from Mark's perspective and be more avant-garde. I thought it was a bit safe by Chris Columbus. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, the performance, take nothing away from the performers. I thought they were awesome, but I just didn't yeah. Think the the style of direction was edgy enough. I thought it was too safe. Oh yeah,
2: yeah, definitely. See, I did, yeah, no. I've often found with with a lot of musicals, I, I just don't want to see a film. I want to see a good pro shot. Yeah, because uh, unfortunately, the rent pro shot was, I think, was one of more the pain, one of the more painful to watch. Just the choice of shots was just terrible. Just film the stage, damn it. Yeah, it was close ups constantly, and I couldn't tell what was going on. Yeah, that was a bad pro shot. It needed to be done properly. That um, uh, allegiance was okay, that's yeah. one We're... of the that is one of the best pro shots I've seen. It just it just filmed the stage. It's that's an example of how to do a pro shot. Yeah. Now um, for, yeah, for, for often our... the directors can go crazy and, and they'll take you know they'll take shots yeah. from side of stage and like there's no of audience members side of stage. Yeah. You know, they can't see up someone's nose. It, why am I
1: Yeah, that's it. It's because it's a film director directing that, not not the stage director. Yeah,
2: they can make some bad choices sometimes.
1: For our listeners, there are quite a few musicals that we've planned the episodes for. We've had the guests booked in. They've had to postpone. So there are certain things like Allegiance and Gypsy that Evan has covered, and we will get to them because we have amazing guests booked in, or not booked in, but (laughs) lined up that, I'm not willing to do Gypsy with anyone else. Yeah, because I keep bringing up um,
2: musicals I'm not supposed to have seen yet. Yeah, yeah.
1: so that, that that's that's why there are musicals that Evan has listened to, although this week he is team musical. So anyways, um, we're going to move on. What would be a lesser done show that you think deserves a national tour?
0: Oh, Yeah, look, there are plenty of great, well, there's plenty of shows that, appeal to me that may not have general appeal. That's okay. Um, I'm trying to now, The Hired Man.
1: Never heard of it.
0: Yeah, it's by someone, Bragg, I think, um, set in 19th century, early 20th century um, England, focusing on people who would hire themselves out to farmers. Um, but it it covers a whole lot of the war and the music is very powerful. Once again, it's a musical drama and I think it's really powerful, but it's not done, you know, and it would not be commercially successful. It could only be done by a theatre company, but it would require probably a a large ensemble. So therefore it wouldn't appeal to them because they'd need to, you know, have 40 people or 50 people in the cast. So therefore it's not viable, but it's a, it's a piece that I really, really enjoy. Um, you know shows like Once on This Island, which great music by Stephen Flaherty or Stephen Ahern's.
1: Yeah, Lynn Aarons. Lynn Ahrens and Stephen Flaherty, as I call him. I don't know if that's how to pronounce his name. Yeah, Flaherty I mean, or Flaherty, Flaherty sounds better. A
0: beautiful, a beautiful show. Great music. Yeah, um, but but not easily done in this country.
1: That's on the producers though, because the casts are there.
0: That's true. You know, they can cast Hamilton here. What about Big River? I love Big River. Yeah. Just a a big ball of fun for kids. I saw it last time it was here in Melbourne, 89, I reckon, 1989.
1: And who was was in that? I do know there was Cameron Daddo. Cameron Daddo, that's right. Oh, yeah. I'd love to get a Daddo brother on this show.
0: (laughs) Anyway, Big River. I'd love to see that again. And I think it would have commercial appeal.
1: Dream Girls. Dream Dream girls, girls. we need a dream girls already.
0: You get pretty out there on on the start with hey.
1: Prinny, Casey Donovan as well. Yeah. Of Paulini. Course. Yes. Bert Labonte, Kurt Kansley. These... Oh. Give me the awards right now, Gavin. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> Kurt would be fabulous. Friggin' oath. Like his his voice, him and, and Bert, I would just love to get them to and just be like, I okay, can now do this. Now sing this for me. So no, I won't force them to sing for me. That's the phantom. Uh, anyways, what would be an early piece of career advice that you were given? that ended up being a load of nonsense.
0: Ah, like the, the only thing that comes to mind, which is not really answering the question, was the head of my department at Whopper, John Milson at the time, would tell us consistently that people do not naturally sing. What? This is from the head of department of the musical theatre. He would say, remember, singing is not a natural act. People don't just wander around the place singing. (laughs) And we just go, have you opened your door lately and had a look out? Because that's what musical theatre people do. We feel emotional, we sing. We feel happy, we sing. We feel sad, we sing. That's what happens, you know? So that would be the kind of the worst bit of advice I think that I've ever been told. Yeah. Singing is not a natural act. Bollocks it isn't. It is.
2: That's a weird thing to say. What was he getting at? I
0: don't know. <laughs> maybe he just wanted us to shut up. I have no idea. But, <laughs> but I, I think at his core he was saying that people, you know, musical theatre, when you sing, it's a heightened genre. People don't walk around the place singing, except they do. Not Maybe not all the time. You know, it's, it's, it's just in the same way that Shakespeare heightens his prose With the iambic pentameter, you know, but um did um did um did um did.
1: Now that's prose, Evan, not prose as in. prostitutes (laughs) prostitutes <laughs> okay just to or clarify. professionals. clarify or professionals
2: yes. i am god i am aware of shakespeare I, jesus
0: so anyway i think it's i think that was john milson's point is that you know singing is not a natural thing people just talk you know and and once again in the, the shakespearean musical simply rotten oh okay yeah yeah and you and you've got that big song that's like what people go around singing yeah they sing in a show it's that that same kind of feeling that people just burst into song and it's an unnatural, it's unnatural, but in theater, it's a heightened act. So I'm pretty sure that's what yeah. John meant at his core. But to us, it seemed like a very odd thing to say.
1: Now, um, what do you think the multiverse Gavin's the Andrew would be doing right now?
0: I'm, I'm looking a little bit lost here for people who can't get the visual. Sorry, all I can relate to is the crypto's just gone down and I'm traumatized by this. <laughs> the multiverse, Gavin, is, is regenerating some kind of John Farnham-sounding superhero who's about six foot two and has to be cast in every leading male role from now for the rest of eternity so that I can just play it um, and regenerate whenever required. It'll just go, ding, I can plug it in and I'll never have to be concerned about not being right for the role again. I can just morph as per, you know, the ones and zeros allow me to change so that I can play whatever role and whatever story I want to do. I think that's what the multiverse cabin would do.
1: Um, Okay, so that was the question I had thrown away. Anyways, of all your past named characters that you've played or stepped in as, whom would you like to swap with Freaky Friday style for a week?
0: Ooh, okay. A lot of them have died, so that's not really really good <laughs> a lot of the good characters that i've played oh, died. Yeah. i'm trying to think of uh you have
1: done a lot of war
0: yeah yeah like south pacific now nah, they're at war hello dolly yeah not really chess
3: yeah i well, got to go
0: some go to some cool places in bangkok and Do you know what i'm gonna go with uh one of the latest ones i'm gonna go to lazy town
1: oh yeah just
0: be stuck in a cartoon land
1: yeah we had the director of the pilot episode on this show, would you believe?
0: Mm. Oh, really? Yeah.
1: Kirk Thatcher, who directed The Muppets. and Wow. I'm a big Sportacus fan anyway.
0: Yeah. Oh,
2: God, he's a legend.
0: He's awesome. Sven, whatever his name is. Well, Sven? He did all his own stunts. He sang. He was... Oh,
2: yeah, he's a he's, he was an Olympic gymnast. Yeah. Yeah, no, super fit, like incredibly fit that guy
0: yeah i want to swap for, i didn't play sporticus but i'm i played the mayor who's complete opposite to sporticus oh. <laughs> <laughs> and here's here's something that was uh you might find quite funny so look at this beautiful hairstyle that i mm-hmm. have yep when i played the mayor in lazy town they gave me a bald wig what <laughs> for all you people out there i have no hair and they thought it would be funnier if I had a bald wig on.
1: I guess it's, yeah, comedy. You've got to be silly about it, don't you?
0: Well, yeah, it was. It was definitely funnier.
1: Yeah anyways are we ever because you're a prolific photographer are we ever going to get a coffee table book of your extreme sports photography that's what i want to see people nearly dying on bicycles
0: oh yeah yeah look there was um i've got lots of photos of hang gliding and rock climbing and whitewater rafting and wow all those things with with some of my friends there we used to call ourselves the one the one day wonders because we'd try and you know go horse riding or something and and for those people who are not in music theater you saw a a contract that says that you won't do any dangerous activities but I had myself convinced that if you hang glide without a hang glider that's a dangerous activity if you abseil without a rope that's a dangerous activity but if you have the hang glider and if you have the rope i consider those things to be reasonably safe but yes I I was a, a kind of a cause for a bit of nightmares I think for some of my company managers who kind of wanted to know but didn't really want to know what I was up to on my days off but yeah extreme sports and And I remember going canyoning um, on one weekend through in New South Wales. There's a thing called Clostral Canyon where you have to swim through these creeks and then you abseil down a waterfall into another canyon. And just because I'm a photographer, I actually took my cameras along as well just to keep it really interesting. But on the upside, when you're swimming through black water and you've got, you know, a a $5,000 camera with you, you don't tend to worry about what's in the water. You're just going, I must protect my camera Mm -hmm. at all costs protect the camera so you're not focusing about this glow fish that well wow look there's a glowing lobster kind of thing what's that you just kind of just move on and going let's protect the camera just keep swimming
1: (laughs) now what has been the most cathartic performance or character that you have played
0: ah this one's easy for me this is definitely chris in saigon
1: okay i was expecting assassins
0: yeah, no. It was it was Chris. It was the it was the story I most wanted to tell. I heard it in my I heard Saigon in the very first week that I was at Whopper in 1990. Uh, Tim Lawson, who you're probably familiar with as a producer these days, Tim Lawson played this to me. I think before we even started my first week at Whopper, and I went, "Wow! When I graduate, I want to be in that show, and I want to play Chris." So. It was that kind of thing that I go in. In the same way, the, the 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 character of Soul, who is killed and comes back to life and is rejuvenated, dies kind of happy because he plays this one gig with his idol. For me, I kind of got through Saigon and 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 played Chris a number of times and and was lucky enough to alternate at the last part of the season. And yeah, that was it. That was the pinnacle. So 1995 or 96 ended the the. the the heights of my my world so quite some time ago
1: and that was david campbell
0: no david wasn't in uh, Pe- Pe- peter cousins was our main chris
1: oh peter cousins that's right oh and he's the one who pissed off steven sondheim last week with the production of company
0: yeah with kookaburra yeah yeah and the lovely and very talented ben harkin went on after peter cousins left ben took over as well so i shared the stage with ben while we alternated at times but yeah ben ben who is now a doctor hello ben if you're out there ben harkin lovely wonderful man
1: um was peter cousins in les mis with you i couldn't find my program No, he
0: was in the original i think he was uh he was marius i think he was in the original tour yeah didn't Simon play the original marius? Yeah,
1: Simon was the original Marius.
0: And I think Peter played the I think Peter might have played uh, Marius on the tour.
1: That's right. Anyways, lastly, what scares you creatively?
0: Uh, what scares me
1: creatively?
0: Creatively?
1: Not just I don't care about your fear of spiders or anything. Gavin, <laughs> yeah, mean, it's just no.
0: Creatively Look, so, you know every every audition, and, and this is part of the reason why I don't audition anymore. Is that I'm not a fan of the new audition process. I'm not a fan of being committed to film and being forever there. If you mess it up, you know it's recorded there forever. Whereas if you walk into an audition, and once again, when you when you go to a drama school, they say you know you, you have to make every audition good because. The people will always remember your last audition. It's like your performance. If you screw it up and it's the last thing people see, then that's what they remember. If you screw up a video audition, it's there forever, especially with TikTok and YouTube and (laughs) Facebook and all those things. So I'm very grateful that I kind of auditioned in an era where you walk in and if you screw it up, only those people in the room will ever remember, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm. as opposed to now you put it on film and, you know, it's there forever and it can go out into a genre and, and, yeah and and that kind of scares me so I, I kind of like the old school way of just walk in there give it your all and let that moment be be in the moment and yeah. if it's to be it's to be and then off you go it's like Simon said that you I think you asked him the question does he get worried about any performances or anything like is he does he feel unsettled but he's, he's confident once he's got the role because you know people have looked at him and said yeah you need to be in this role and you you take confidence in that you know, a a bunch of professional people have said, yes, we want this person to be in that role. But when you step forward into an audition, I still think that that is, that's still the scariest part of this profession. It doesn't matter how many times you do it, each role can be, can be different. And, and, and when you have been in the industry for a while, you can step into a room with people, you know, and that makes it easier. But if you screw it up, you still feel pretty crap. And I've screwed up a few. So I'm glad not to be there in a hurry you know.
1: Uh, now, lastly, actually, do you regret saying yes to me all those years ago? <laughs> this, this is where it's ended up.
0: <laughs> no, not at all. I'm, I'm, that's, I'm really excited, you know, and I'm so glad that it, it led to other opportunities. I'm so excited that you got to work on Buffy because, hey, big Buffy fan.
1: What the hell is going on in my life? Like, I just, I don't know. And then just been able to leverage it.
0: Yeah. And that's, that's, that's the thing, you know, you just never know. What will come of of doing something? So you know the thing for for me is to always give it a give it a try. You know the fear of failure. You only fail to me if you don't try. So give it a give it a crack.
1: You're listening, Evan, because that's that's you only fail if you don't try as you go into your making your diamond pleating headboard. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, no, we've yeah we yeah at the moment
2: I'm I'm doing a you know diamond pleated buttonhole headboard yeah
1: you know wow you know trying to yeah learning upholstery and i'll have a crack at anything Uh, But anyways, you have been an amazing guest. Thank you so much for saying yes. Because if I had have waited a year and you said no, I would have been like, oh, I should have just asked last year. And then I wouldn't have waited for a whole year just to get a no. Um, So but that was a whole shitstorm last year. And I thought, no, I'm not going to invite someone on my show to say, thank you for helping me get into Buffy. Joss Whedon's a pariah. Because that just would have been like, (laughs) what? so it was sort of like a back away slowly i'll just wait a little bit And so time went on i'm like oh shit i better get on to that and so i did and so, so thank you i am so honored and and truly blessed that you gave me that chance that i did not know i promise you i had no clue what to do with crosswords
0: oh, that's awesome aaron I, i'm very grateful i've had a great time just hanging out with you guys just chatting away and yeah talking awesome crap hopefully you can um compile it into something that makes reasonably sense, you know. But, uh, no, it's good to meet you guys and and good luck with what you're doing. And and um, I'll put my ears on and have a, a listen to a few more as I, as I get a bit more time.
1: Yeah, awesome. Yes. Mm. Just quickly mm-hmm. add social medias. Where can people find you on the socials? Or- I can't.
0: I am an enigma. I have no Facebook, no Instagram, no any social media. I have a website, gavand.com.au, but I haven't updated that since... Probably since they got rid of (laughs) iWeb out of the the Mac system. So I think that was around about 2003. I think that's when I updated my website.
2: You built built it on Netscape by the sound of it.
0: I I built it actually. Seriously, I was doing rent and I went across the road during matinee and I grabbed uh, like a hamburger and in the shop, and I had to wait for the hamburger to be made, and in the shop next to me was a news agency and it said, how to make your own website. So I went and I bought that <laughs> and I made, my, I made my first website by HTML code, just doing it all by yep. code. Uh, nice. but, and then when iWeb came out, I went with iWeb. So, yeah, no, I'm not on any social medias.
1: You are so much better off. Anyways, to you at home, you take care and we shall see you next time. Hooray. Awesome.
0: Great, great work, guys.
1: Yeah, thank you so much for
2: giving
0: it- us